Hello, I'm Stephen Groom. Welcome to Let God Speak. 2 Peter 1.19 states that we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed in which you would do well in paying attention to it. In today's study, we will be looking at the different identities that make up Isaiah's servant as found in Isaiah chapter 41, 42 and 49. We will also see an amazing prophecy concerning Cyrus, the king of Persia in Isaiah chapter 45. On our panel today, we have Andrew Russell. Welcome, Andrew. And we have Gail Fong. Welcome. And I'd like to pray before we start. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you will be with us as we study these amazing prophecies in the book of Isaiah. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 My first question to um, Gail is that many people feel that would be a great privilege to visit the, the scenes of Christ's life on earth, to walk where he walked and minister, to see where he ministered in Galilee and other places during his life. Indeed, in 2019, over four and a half million people visited Israel. Mm -hmm. But if Jesus came and lived today and not 2,000 years ago, in which he did, would Jesus be interested in religious pilgrimages, Gail? Well, no. <laughs> Not at all. If Jesus lived up to his resume in the Bible, and especially if we were to look in Isaiah chapter 42 and just reading part of verse 6 and verse 7 there, it says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. And then verse 7, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. So he definitely would not be interested in religious pilgrimages. And also there's a little quote I'd like to mention uh, from the beautiful uh, book, Desire of Ages by Ellen White. It's, and she writes there on page 640, uh, we would find his footprints beside the sick bed in the hovels of poverty, in the crowded alleys of the great city and in every place where there are human hearts in need of consolation. Mm. So Jesus was more interested in, in doing ministry to the needy than in doing tourist, uh, touristy things. Is yeah. that right? I've been to Israel and you can, you know, you do get a, you know, you do get a sense of things when you're there. It is interesting and excited to to think about the fact that Christ was there and this is where the church first blossomed in terms of the Christian movement. Um, yeah, but uh, certainly that's not the be-all and end-all of things. Yeah. Andrew, does Jesus' resume have any relevance to us as, as his servants in the, in the Christian church in the 21st century? Yeah, absolutely. I, I believe that um, the Son of Man, the Bible tells us that the Son of Man, um, being Christ, of course, will, will judge the nations according to their in, indifference or according to their service to a suffering humanity. You know, humanity suffering under the curse of sin. I'll share a verse with you in relation to that. If we go to Matthew chapter 25, uh, Matthew chapter 25, we'll read verse 31 and 32, and then we'll jump to verse 34 to 36. Notice Jesus himself says here, 
when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he shall sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he shall, uh, well, we'll jump to verse 34. It says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. Isn't that right? I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. And I think that's quite relevant, isn't it? So, and that's what I mean by Christ will judge according to those who had that same spirit that he did to either serve, um, serve humanity, a suffering humanity, yes. as he did under the curse of sin, or, you know, obviously he'll look at those that would neglect that. that Indeed, um, Jesus set the example in the Gospels, didn't he? And he expects his servants to follow that example. Absolutely. Now let's look at the the first uh, description of of God's servant in Isaiah 41, verse 8. And it reads, But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, in whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my servant. Here, Isaiah refers to Israel, Jacob and Abraham as being my, that is, God's servant. Who can we identify as being God's servant in these texts, Gail, in this text? Well, in this text here, because God's addressing Israel or Jacob and Abraham, it's clear that Jacob represents the nation that descended from him. That is the nation of Israel. And Isaiah refers to them as his servant. And we find that in uh, chapter 41, 43 and 45. Yes, thank you for that. Is there any other important features of the servant in in verse 8? And I'd like to add verse 9. It says, um, speaking of Jacob, whom he has chosen, the seed of Abraham, he says, You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called you from the chief men thereof and said to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you away. Is there anything, is there any important features of the servant that we've just read that would indicate why God considers them to be his servants? Mm. Well, it's a, it's a privilege to be chosen by the Lord, of course. And yeah, but when we look at this a little bit closer, I, um, I want to share with you um, just a few things that one um, Irish biblical scholar actually identified in these couple of verses in verse 8 and verse 9 that we just read. Uh, and let me highlight it for you just as we read it again. But thou Israel art my servant, Jacob who I have, Jacob who I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend, thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called you or called thee from the chief men thereof and said unto thee, thou art my servant, I have chosen thee and not cast thee away. So this uh, biblical scholar, his name was um, Alec Motia. Uh, and let me share with you a couple of points that he just he identifies in this text here. So number one, he says, Israel, of course, was chosen by the Lord. OK, but chosen as what? Chosen as a servant of righteousness. That's very important to to recognize there. And then number two, it shows that um, God's desire toward Israel, his chosen is 
is one of mutual friendship and love um, as expressed, something that Abraham experienced with him. And that's what God is mm. actually referencing there. And so we get a, a much fuller picture of what it means to be chosen and uh, why Israel was chosen. And then number three, it reveals God's covenant promise to Abraham. And that promise was to bless Abraham and, uh, and his descendants, to bless them and entrust them with salvation and the knowledge of salvation that they would share that with others, share that with the other nations. Um, and, and number four, that God elects men to salvation and service um, from the furthest corners of the earth. And that's actually what was referenced there when in verse nine, when it says, I, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth. And uh, it reminds me of Galatians chapter three, verse 29, um, where it says, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So, so that tells me that Israel was never meant to be literal so that anyone could join the Jewish church uh, religion much the same as anybody can join the church. Is that right? That's right. It wasn't exclusive. Israel yeah. was never supposed yeah. to be a- exclusive as a nation. To the literal descendants. To the literal descendants. Abraham. It was supposed to be all inclusive. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Gail, how precious was Israel in the Lord's eyes? Well, if we read on in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 4, it says, uh, reads there, Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honoured, and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. So here, um, where he says, Since you were precious in my sight, this is talking about Jacob or Israel, and they are precious in God's sight. Um, so Israel, I mean, Isaiah also lists um, other things that God uh, has done, and that's in verse chapter 43 and verse 1. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. So there we've got that he created them. He redeemed them. He formed them. He's called them by your name. And he says, you are mine. But going back to verse 4, where he says, you are precious. He says, I have loved you. Yes. So I find this um, very, uh, very beautiful, very beautiful words here. And we see that throughout the um, scriptures that God has has fulfilled this love to every generation because how he delivered um, the children of Israel out of Egypt and how he delivered them in the time of Sennacherib, in the time of Isaiah. Mm -hmm. So we are precious to God. Just staying on that, um, Gail, it says in verse uh, chapter 43 and verse one, you read that speaking of Israel, he says, I have redeemed you. That sounds very unconditional salvation for, for Israel. And I think we've already touched on that, Andrew. But is this speaking about unconditional salvation for the literal people of Israel? So, of course, to redeem Israel is to redeem a people back to himself. That's what it's um, that's what it's uh, referring to there. Um Look, it's not so much that, uh, you know, using the terms that you just mentioned, conditional salvation, um, it's not so much that that word conditional 
uh, is not so much applied to salvation as it is applied to the unconditional love of God who saves. Amen. Okay, it's but that's the, to everyone, not it's, just it's to Israel. everyone. Absolutely, yeah. but it's that's yeah, it's the unconditional love by which God brings men, redeems men to Himself out of iniquity, out of out of sin, and He brings them back to Himself. And so that's really what it's uh, referring to there. He elects and saves men to eternal life. Is that everyone? That's everyone. That he elects yeah. everyone. A- and absolutely. the word Israel means overcomer. So he wants everyone to be an overcomer. That's right. Amen. But in that wonderful experience of salvation that God gives us when we become his, um, he then entrusts, as he did with Israel and as he did, does with all, he entrusts them with, um, with, with duty, Um, He entrusts them with things that he expects them to do. That's part of the choosing, isn't it? Yes. And essentially we become co-laborers with God in the plan of salvation. And so um, he entrusts us with uh, with duty and, and faithfulness. But where Israel may have been unfaithful and disobedient to that duty, well, they could very well forfeit their salvation. And we could do the same as well. In, in fact, faithfulness and Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verses 28-29, that a Jew is not one outwardly, but one inwardly. That's right. Yeah, yeah. so it's a spiritual application, mm-hmm. isn't it? Who, one who, who's um, obedient to yeah, Christ. Yeah, it's conversion of the heart, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So let's go to the, the second, uh, second servant uh, spoken of in chapter 42. And I'd like to go through this point by point. In verse one, it says, Behold, my servant in whom I uphold, my elect in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Who is this speaking about, Gail, do you think? Well, this servant here can be none other than Jesus Christ. Mm. But to think of him as a servant, the God of the universe becoming servant, it's quite amazing. Uh, he's God's son. And, and we find in Matthew chapter 3, 16 and 17, when God did become man uh, and at his baptism, we had the father saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We had the anointing with the Holy Spirit uh, that descended upon him at that time. And that's all there in the first verse there that you read, I've put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. So the father sent him on a mission and he came, as it says in uh, John chapter four and verse 34, he came to do his father's will, not his own will. And he says that a number of times that he came to do his father's will and um, the will of him who sent him. And he came to reveal the character of God and um, bring justice or judgment upon the nations, the Gentiles for all the world. I love that, Gail, because, um, and Stephen, you know, it's, um, that's the character of God, isn't it? It's not only that he's merciful, but he brings justice. Yes. And uh, many sometimes find it difficult to understand the judgments of God at times. Yeah. But when you recognize that sin is a great injustice in the world, evil is a great injustice, Yes. right? So when Christ comes and he brings salvation to Israel, and through Israel to all the nations, well, then he is dealing with that injustice and he's bringing justice. Uh, I think removal of sin. The word judgment has more um, specific meaning in the original language. And I believe this uh, meaning here is more of discernment between truth and error. He He came to point out truth as opposed to error more clearly in people's lives. 
Well, the truth shall set you free. Free yes. from what? Yeah. Free from sin, isn't yeah. it? Free from bondage. Free from bondage. But moving on, yeah. verse two and three: He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall not he quench. He shall bring forth judgment once again to the truth. Andrew, could you explain that for us? Um, well, look, it goes in, in connection with verse two. I mean, they all go together, of course, verse one as well. But if you read verse two as well, it says, you shall not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break. Uh, it really um, is referring to the manner in which the Messiah would come and accomplish his goals. Uh, he didn't come, uh, you know, with a shout saying, here I am. But he went about the work of salvation very humbly, very yes. discreetly. And uh, as he said, sometimes when there were those that wanted to glorify him as the Messiah, when they saw the power of God with him, they wanted to raise him up as their king. And he would say, my time has not yet come. You know? Isn't that amazing mm. that God would be so humble like that? That's right. Don't go and tell anyone, he would say, say to them. Well, his glory would be seen in the cross, isn't it? Yes. Isn't it? That, that's when his time would come. And also, Gail, can you have some other comment where he says, in verse 4 that he he said judgment in the earth and in verse 6 it speaks about um, he give you for a covenant of the people for a light to the Gentiles. Yes. Um, well, I'll just say something I can just see here which I love in verse 4 as well. He will not fail nor be discouraged. I think that's a wonderful attribute of him as well. But yes, he was called rabbi or teacher even by the Jewish leaders. It tells us in the New Testament um, in John 3 verse 2 uh, when he came. But he did bring judgment to the truth. And in verse 6, he not only brought covenant to the people, but he actually was the covenant uh, between God and the people. What does that mean, Gail? Well, Being in the covenant. Yes, well, in, in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27, we find that he confirmed that covenant for one week and in the midst of the week when his life was cut, cut off, not for himself, but for, for us. Mm. So he fulfilled the promise and he became the saviour of the world and set us free from sin. Yes. One of the best verses I like here, it says in verse 7, that he came... Uh, verse 6 says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. And then going to verse 7 and 7, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from prison and those are sitting darkness out of the prison house. Mm. Would you like to comment on this, please, Andrew? Um, well, of course, this is what Israel was called to do, um, to minister to the brokenness that uh, sin has caused, but in the in the uh, greater context, in the context, sorry, in the messianic context, it's applying to Christ, and we see that in um, in Luke chapter ten. I'll just have a quick read there. Luke chapter ten, verse nineteen, um, because this is what Christ came to do, and this is what He entrusts the church also to continue to do. And He says, "Behold, I give you, uh, sorry, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over." all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. And so we find that, uh, you know, sin has brought all this suffering into the world. And Christ came to open the eyes of the blind, yes. open the ears of the to hear the good news of salvation. And this work is one that's given to the church as well to Amen. do. And it, uh, it stops the devil in his tracks. Yeah. 
it, it, uh, it brings to an end the work of evil and suffering that he continues to do. Yeah. Yes, thank you for that. In the Gospel of Ma- Matthew, Jesus quotes actually from Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 4. Who does he apply these verses to, Andrew? Um, well, look, he, um, he applies it really uh, to himself. Let me, let's go to the book of Matthew. And, uh, let's chapter 12. T- chapter it? 12, yeah, that's the one. Matthew chapter 12. Just read verse 17 and 18. So when Christ came, Christ came um, with very much a very clear identity of, of who he was and who he was called and chosen to be as a saviour. And he quotes from the book of Isaiah here in Matthew chapter 12, verse 17 and 18. It says, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Esaias the prophet, or Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. And if you read on, it it continues those verses we just quoted. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. So very clearly Christ here in the context of chapter 12, what Christ came to do, it's, uh, it's been foretold in the book of Isaiah. Amen. So it applies to him. Yeah. Yes. So we've looked at the second servant now. I just want to look at the third servant now. And this is an amazing prophecy. We'll start in Isaiah 44 verse 28. And he mentions Cyrus. He says, That saith of Cyrus, he's my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. Chapter 45 and verse 1. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings to open before him, the two leave gates, and the gates shall not be shut. Mm. Would um, what is so amazing about this prophecy, Gail or Andrew? Well, um, okay. Uh, well, look, this actually names a Persian king, King Cyrus, um, um, at least a hundred years before he was born. Okay, and it's it's um, he's named here in the context of what he, what God will have him accomplish. And that is essentially to go forth and be a conqueror of Babylon. And that's what's truly amazing about that. So God will accomplish his purposes through, uh, through various means while respecting the choices of men. And Cyrus was one of those men that God would use actually to be a blessing to his people. Now, through now his conquest. Yeah. In, verse, mm. in chapter 45, verse 1, the word for anointed in Hebrew is actually Messiah, mm. Mashiach where we get the word Messiah. Yes. So Cyrus is in some way like the Messiah. Yeah. In, and, and I'd like to ask Gail here, who is the real Messiah? And where in the Bible can we prove this? Well, in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 25, if we were to go there, we find the, the prophecy there um, <clears throat> 
tells us. And um, it tells us there, I'll just read uh, that verse a little bit. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah, the Prince. So we here have the, um, could I say it predicts the ultimate um, uh, anointed one, uh, Messiah, the Prince. And I was really uh, blown away by this thought because I didn't don't think I knew this, but um, as I was studying my lesson, that that word prince there refers to a leader who could either be a king or a priest. Mm. And Jesus fulfilled both of those yeah, in the role. So the, the word Messiah can often be used for a prince or a priest even, and a leader. But in Isaiah 45 verse 1, this is the only place in the Bible where a pagan king is, is referred to in Meshiach or Messiah or translate here, anointed one. Could you explain how this is possible, please, Andrew? Yeah, well, simply because um, when uh, Cyrus came and uh, look, when Cyrus came, tradition tells us that the children of Israel uh, showed Cyrus this prophecy concerning himself. And if you read into the book of Ezra, we won't go there, but if you read in the book of Ezra, uh, chapter one, it's uh, Cyrus there sends a decree forth and actually he relays the fact that there's this God of Israel that has given him a kingdom. Yeah. You know, because he's the one that is foretold that would subdue nations. Yeah. And, uh, and in doing that, Israel is brought out of some oppression because Cyrus, this pagan king, has great favor to the children of Israel, so much so that he allows them to go and rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild their so, temple. So he sets the captives free. He takes them out of captivity and yeah. sets the captive free so that they go back to Jerusalem. Does Jesus do anything that would Absolutely. compare to that? Absolutely. So, so Cyrus is not, a, not the Messiah, yeah. but they are characteristics of the Time. work that he did mm. that reflect the work of Jesus Christ. Yes. Yeah. And so just as, as Cyrus was able to take over Babylon, destroy Babylon, kill the king and let his captives go free, in the same way, Jesus will also dry up the rivers like Cyrus did, and the rivers being the people who support Babylon, yeah. um, and take his people, who is God's people on earth, and allow them to go back to heaven, yeah. set the captives free. Yeah, and what you're referring to there is uh, Revelation. You Revelation, know? chapter so, 16. Yeah, chapter 16. And so it has this dual application. So when you read about in the book of Revelation, Babylon, um, the river of Euphrates and so forth drying up, it's an end time deliverance that will take place. Amen. Thank you. In the short time we have left, uh, looking at the third servant, Gail, uh, who's the identity of God's servant in Isaiah 49 verses 1 to 12? Uh, well, there's an overlap here between the description uh, in Isaiah 42 and 49, where we identify the servant as the Messiah, the true Messiah. And the New Testament finds the servant attributes in Jesus Christ, both in his first coming and his second coming. Mm. Amen. Thank you for that, Gail. Thanks for that, Andrew. Well, today we've looked at some amazing prophecies of God's servant as found in Isaiah chapters 41, 42 and 49. Deliverance from the present sinful age requires a deliverer. God's servant nation was delivered by Cyrus who captured Babylon, setting the captives free to return back to the promised land. The second servant, who is the Messiah, will one day come and destroy the New Testament Babylon and set his people free to go back to the promised land of heaven, living with him forever. Would you like to go too? 
It begins with accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour today and coming out of the confusion that is modern-day Babylon. We are glad you could join us today on Let God Speak. You can watch all our past programs on our website, 3abnaustralia.org.au. Teachers' helps can be downloaded from there too. You can also email us on lgs at 3abnaustralia.org.au. Do join us again next time. God bless. You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.